from Hollywood. M.L. Elric. In... The Soul of Detroit. Life is filled with the unexpected, romantic, tragic, and mysterious endings to our most ordinary actions. Dreams come true, or dreams are shattered by Sean Windsor in ML Soul of Detroit. But first, a word from the Smiths. You asked to rock your church with all my tricks. Gone. What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You are qualified, Emil. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay. You want to go right now? Hey, kids, it's your old pal, ML Elric, wishing you a happy Valentine's Day, especially to those of you who are our Patreon subscribers, because while we love all of you, some of you we love just a little bit more. Wait, today's Valentine's? Valentine's Day is coming up. Oh, I don't know what it is. Depending on when you're listening to it, it may be, you may have just missed it. This may be a reminder to go out and get a make good gift before that special somebody catches up with you and says, yeah, it's the same day every single year and you missed it. So, so we do have a special show for you today. First of all, I want to, I want to welcome, uh, the love of my life who's listening. Uh, but please don't send an email because my wife's on the show this week. Keep going. Okay, there she is. And uh, and we also want to mark a, a very sad anniversary as well. Uh, the day we're recording this is the one-year anniversary of the massacre at Michigan State when a deranged gunman took the lives of three young students, very promising and uh, spectacular kids and also we shouldn't forget the other people who were wounded uh, i recently read that two of them are back in class i think there were five people who are wounded there are some others who still haven't been able to return to campus and everybody in the michigan state community and anyone who has a kid in college who's been thinking ever since this should be the safest place on earth and maybe it's not uh, if you remember last year we heard from Sean's son and what he went through, and we heard from our our uh, our friend and and former NIL sponsored athlete uh, Callie Knight niece about what she went through, and um, those stories have not gone away. And I'm not sure that we've really come up with any solutions to what happened there. And the Free Press recently reported that uh, some of the steps that Michigan State said it would take to prevent something like this from happening again have not been entirely taken so uh so that's something we think about and hope that we're gonna get some solutions to those things too but uh we also have some people to thank and and the reason we're here is not just because of you but because of dr yaldo who's helping change people's lives giving them better than perfect vision we'll tell you a little bit later how he does that and how you can take advantage of that zot ford and holly who has some great deals on some sweet rides we'll tell you what their latest bargains are and how you can go and avail yourself of those opportunities and of course luke nowacki and zach at pinnacle wealth strategies who are helping you prepare for the future by giving you a plan to manage your money so that when you need it it will be there. So we appreciate them because they're there for us. We're here 
for you. So, uh, so Mark, Sean, yeah, hi, happy Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, you done yet? Thanks, buddy. That was like one of your columns. <laughs> sorry, I've been fighting with a camera over here too. Yeah, uh, he wasn't listening either. I guess. Yeah, sorry, no, I, I heard well, all the kind words you no, said. No, 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 the the meaningful words, that part. Yeah, and the sponsors. That's sponsor, important yeah, too. Come on, just like my columns, right, Sean. I'm just, so, I'm just so they used pay the to, bills. Yeah. By the way. I I I, uh, I love your tie. It's skinny tie from the '60s, but then it's kind of got the knitted look from the '80s. So you're, which is sort of new wavish. So you're kind of not knitted. Crossing generations here. It's uh, it's it's cool. It's nice. This tie is called I don't a rooster. Love your attitude, but I love your tie. This tie is called a rooster, and there's a synonym for rooster that describes Sean, uh, or describes you, right? Peacock. I wasn't thinking about peacock. Oh, I dropped the P. Yeah. Just the second syllable. Oh, really? Okay. So you're gonna slow down. Slow down there, Sean. You're gonna dish it out for how long have I known you? You're gonna dish it out to, to everybody all your life, I guess. Probably predates me knowing you, and uh, and yet a little bit comes back at you, and and that's what you're gonna call me as a cop. So so here's a. I didn't say that. I get your thesaurus out, sir. Here's a little known. Uh, story do you remember the guy who used to host the hollywood squares for all those years peter marshall yeah i do do you know his son was a first baseman for the cubs and for the la dodgers no and do you know why I feel peter, like this is a setup to a really bad do you joke, know why peter marshall was his stage name what's his last name cock yes it was really? lecoq so his oh, son's he, name he was Lecoq. I remember Lecoq, the player. Right. Yeah, I remember the right. baseball he was a, player. Yeah, had, had a great, uh, great mustache yeah. as most of those seventies baseball. Oh, no, what players. we remember about that show is Paul Lynn. That's right. Yeah, can you imagine oh, that now? People are Lynn, like all these bad. people are like Paul Lynn's gay. Like, <laughs> of course, yes. And wait till we get to Charles Nelson Riley. I'm really gonna blow your mind. Wait, he's not gay, is he? <sighs> Charles Nelson Riley is he? Croc? Oh yeah, yeah. He was. He was uh, he was way out there. Speaking of which, Mark, are you watching the feud, the Truman Capote show, the new? You know what? I Truman am, Capote was gay. I am, and it is fan fucking tastic. It is one of the best shows on right now. Are you watching it? Yeah, yeah. you don't like it? No, we. I like the first uh, episode. Yeah, <laughs> you're one up. Don't bring up a show if you're not currently caught up. All no, the way. it's okay. You can ruin it for me. It's, I don't. I don't mind. That's well, a true story. I want to know what done. I want to know what Mike and Teresa are watching. I want to hear your Truman Capote imitation. Well, you guys always talk like that. That's all he does. He just whines, right? And you know, he's just a notorious way. He's like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> and you got to laugh. Best friend laughs, was growing he, up. He laughs after everything he says, too. Yeah, he does. How would, the, yeah. Who do you like? Uh, Tom Hollander's performance? Yeah. He's playing him right now in the feud? Yeah. Or or Philip Seymour Hoffman? Who Holland. Hollander. Tom Hollander? Yeah, Tom yeah, Hollander. By, by a mile. I mean, he's way better than... Did Tom you ever see him in Pride and Prejudice? That's the first time I no, saw him. No, I don't watch stuff like that. Oh, you don't? No. He's great. I don't man. even know what great that means. Movie. Wow, so Sean was watching an English period drama. I did not see that coming. It's <laughs> a great movie. That's all movie. he watches. Yeah, that explains it's the a, crackling it's, energy. It's a, it's a great movie. Oh, that, that book, or that movie's full of, uh, full of life, for sure. So uh, nobody, like answered, you. nobody answered my other trivia question. Do you know who Truman Capote's best friend was growing up? You. Uh, yes, I do. Harper Lee. Right? Yes, who wrote? To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. They had a falling out, though. Oh, really? He had a falling out with most people, didn't he? Yeah, because he's he, Truman Capote's a total asshole. He did tend to ingratiate himself to the uh, gentry class and then sell them out. Yeah. That's what the yeah. feud is about, right? 
It's a hundred percent what it's about. Did yeah. you watch the first one uh, with Betty Davis and uh, No, I did not. Joan Crawford. No, I did not watch that. That was fun. Too. I kind of want to go back and watch it because that's how much I like uh, Truman. Is it Truman versus the Swans? I think that's what yeah. he called all the. Yeah. It's about all the socialite women um, that he befriended and, yeah, and got and all this inside, all the secrets about. And yep. so they got pissed off and tried to get back at him. And yeah, no, it's really, it's really good. Well, speaking of very fancy women, we should probably introduce our guest, Teresa Balds of the Detroit Free Press, who I barely recognize because for the last month or so, she's been living in a courtroom in Oakland, Oakland County, covering the Jennifer Crumbly, uh, was it a manslaughter? Involuntary manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter trial. Uh, as you may know, uh, Jennifer Crumbly was convicted, I think, right after we went off the air last week. Were they related? Huh? Those two things? Yes, jurors jurors uh, wrapped up their deliberations so they could immediately listen to but the that, I mean, it makes, episode. Makes sense. I, I'm not sure that we have time to explain how that might make sense. It's going to require the kind of no. The world is it, no. It starts and stops with you. That's the point. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. But Teresa's here to talk to us both about what she saw in the courtroom and to talk a little bit about some of her analysis on what lies ahead for James Crumbly, uh, Ethan Crumbly's dad, because we were talking about that, I think, after the show wrapped, about how, boy, oh, boy, um, he may have been waiting to cut a deal until he saw if his wife was going to beat the rap, and now that she didn't, he is not going to get as good a deal. And uh, that's, you know, he took a big gamble and he may have lost. But Teresa wrote that his defense team may actually have a, an advantage because of what they saw during the Jennifer Crumbly trial. And because this is the longest I've known Teresa where she hasn't said something, let's uh, ask her what she thinks. So first, let me clarify, as we were talking about uh, James Crumbly taking a, a potential deal, the prosecution has said early on uh, it, it, to the victims, listen, there's no deal, no deal. We're not going to give a deal to these folks. So uh, that was before. I mean, I'm not saying that that's not possible now, but Karen McDonald has said in the past, there's not going to be any deal for these defendants. But isn't that, stand- I think with the feds, whenever they're about to go to trial, I think by policy, they have to offer some sort of deal to a defendant. I think the only deal here is plead guilty, and we'll uh, talk down your your we'll we'll recommend a lower sentence for okay. you. So um, that's a deal, but not a bargain. Right, right, and and he could still do that. He could uh, say, you know what, I, I don't want to go to trial. Um, I'm going to plead guilty and take my chance, and hopefully the judge will give me more leniency at sentencing. So that could happen. We, you know, um, it could. I I'm not inclined to believe it's going to. I have no indication it's going to, but he could do that. So what was it like to be in the courtroom? I think you saw some video that uh, that no one would want to see if they weren't required to take a look at it. Um, there was a lot of testimony. There were, there were loved ones of dead children there. I mean, it sounds like, and then, of course, there was media from all over the country. It sounds like it could have been not only dramatic and tense, but a bit of a circus. It really wasn't a circus inside the room. I mean, they they had all kinds of rules. You you couldn't um, we couldn't photograph anybody in the jury. You couldn't uh, tape the jury. The hallway. It really I expected a media circus, but it wasn't. Um, but being in there was uh, you could have heard a pin drop when they announced that verdict. And 
it was, you know, it was so intense. I, I mean, I had some of the victim's parents sitting right next to me, and I, I, I couldn't even look at them. You know, I, we were looking at everybody. I was looking at Jennifer. I was looking at the parents, and it was just a room of, 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 of emotions and, and pain for so many people. Um, I, I'm not sure the verdict uh, brought any uh, emotional relief to anybody, but I, I do know, and we did talk to some of the parents afterwards, and they said, you know, we've been waiting for accountability for a long time. And, and finally, we have it. We wanted someone held accountable for this. And, and with Jennifer's conviction, they think that that's what that did. Wow. Um, it was uh, a bit of a gamble for the prosecutor to bring a case like this. There had never been a prosecution for parents being held responsible for a, a underage shooter. Um, the prosecutor argued some of this case, which is somewhat extraordinary. Yeah, how how common is that for the you know elected prosecutor to actually be in the trial and who is trying the next case the next crumbly case right. it, it it is rare that the prosecutor um uh, prosecutes uh, cases you know she did have um a we're talking about karen mcdonald yeah too, karen so mcdonald yes a name i mean it does it does happen it can happen in high profile cases um I, Clearly, this one was very important to her. She was very passionate about it from the beginning. Um, people have questioned, you know, her motives for doing so. Um, but uh, this was, uh, you know, very important to her. And she admitted from the beginning, yeah, I know this is uh, this is out there. It hasn't been done before. But this is also, uh, this case has extraordinary circumstances. Um, uh, ex it's different. You know, you you have a... a, a a kid who allegedly was gifted a gun from his parents, who showed signs of mental illness. Um, th there was just a lot of details in this that you don't see in other school shootings. So, well, so I felt I felt it seemed like a, a big reach because what parent would ever think their kid would kill somebody, no matter how much you know evidence there is or how many times he writes that he needs help. Um, how was that? What was the what were the instructions to the jury? First of all, you know, because the law is very specific and then tends to break down on, on really simple things. Whereas when we consume something from the outside, there's a lot of red herrings. Right. Well, what I, I found interesting is the judge said over and over again, even during jury selection and in the trial, listen, folks, this case is not about bad parenting. This is not about bad parenting. We heard that over and over again. It was about bad parenting. So much of the testimony was about um, if, if these parents did the right thing or the wrong thing. So much of what we heard from the beginning when they were arrested was about what kind of parents they were. But what being kind of a bad parent is not illegal. No, no, it isn't. And 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 when, For the most part. during jury selection, you know, they asked those questions. There, there were 10 parents on this panel. You know, um, what would you, uh, do you know everything that your kid is doing? Do you think parents should be held accountable for their children's action? They tried to weed out you know, people who mm -hmm. were problematic. And and you did seem to end up with a somewhat open-minded jury that said, okay, listen, we're here. We're going to decide this only on the facts of the case. But a lot of stuff came into trial that wasn't just about um, did the Crumblies, were they grossly negligent and giving their son access to a gun that he used to to, to kill these these four children. Um, I, I think what's important for your your uh, listeners to know is that there were two theories that they could convict on for involuntary okay. manslaughter, and they didn't all have to agree on it. One could pick one, and one could pick the other. And here are the two theories. One, a simple one, and that is that Jennifer Crumbly stored a gun and the bullets in a manner that allowed a minor to get a hold of it and kill someone. That was it. So it had to do with the storage issue. So jurors could say, okay, um, yeah, 
this kid got his hands on it. Clearly, it wasn't uh, hidden well enough. So they went that way. The other one. When, when they say a manner, I mean, that, that can be kind of subjective. I mean, were there any instructions on that? I mean, what is considered. In a manner? Storing it properly, yeah. Well, uh, our new law that was passed yesterday, and let's, let's remember that when this happened, there was no safe storage law in Michigan. Yeah, just so. When, so I, I also find it interesting how safe storage, you know, which which we've been fighting for, for years in Michigan to get it passed, um, you know, it... it it, it, it didn't apply, you know, we're, we're holding the Crumbleys accountable for a law that didn't exist, but. Well, the law kind of clarifies the manner, right? You right. Know, being right. Well, storage. an involuntary manslaughter, I, I, I found this out. There's, there's actually no statute on it. It's built on case law. Our statute is about yeah. manslaughter. And over the years, involuntary manslaughter has come in, into play. And, and so um, the definition of involuntary manslaughter has come about through cases that have that have been tried um it's it's more case law oriented than than the than the, the government stepped in and passed a law sure. about this but anyway i'm getting too deep in the weeds on that yeah. so uh, it was the second oh the, that's the, interesting the, yeah i, I thought it was too so the second theory and this is the more controversial one is that the parents had a legal duty to act that they that they um that they failed their duty to uh to monitor their son and to protect him from harming others, knowing, and this was a, a crucial factor in there, knowing that they had the ability to control him and knowing that he posed a danger to others. So this was Well, about, that boils down to the meeting at the school then. What's that? Doesn't that boil down to the meeting at the school? And well, the, the why didn't they look in his bag? They knew there was a gun and... Well, the prosecution takes it back even further. This is where they've argued that, the, and this is the prosecution's argument, that the Crumbleys knew or should have known that their son was, was, uh, was mentally ill and should not have had access to a gun, but they gave him one anyway. So I just want to cut back here on the narrative a little bit. Yeah. Because what we've heard for the longest time is that these parents bought their son a gun as a gift. At trial, what we heard in testimony is like, listen, this really wasn't a gift, as, as you would think. We didn't just hand it over to him and say, hey, here's a gun, use it. Um, he was only allowed to use it with his dad and at the shooting range. And as a defense attorney pointed out, if it really was a gift, then why did the parents have to hide the gun? Uh, what was used against Jennifer Crumley, though, and I thought the prosecutor was, was pretty clever at this point, he said to her, um, did you or did you not gift this, son, this uh, gun to your child? And Jennifer Crumley says from the stand, define gift. And he said, how's this? And he pulls up her Facebook post where she said, oh. out at the shooting range with my son oh. using his new Christmas gift. Yeah. And, and then he just moved on. She defined on. it. Yeah. And then he just moved on from that. And she, so she's, she tries to talk her way, not talk her way out of it, but to explain it that, you know, listen, this, this, this wasn't a gift like everyone thinks it was. We did have it properly stored. Um, the gun, um, what we've learned is that the gun that, that the shooter used was in an armoire in a gun case um, the bullets were hidden in another drawer and then the key to the gun lock that goes on the actual gun was hidden in a beer stein so the only thing they don't know for sure is was that gun lock on wow. on the gun but because when when uh, james crumbley came home he found the gun case 
you know, uh, on the bed. Yeah. And he's, this, you know, we're going to hear from him now, you know, where it was. But Jennifer Crumbly has said, listen, I wasn't the gun enthusiast in the family. I didn't, I, it's not that she was opposed to guns, but that just wasn't her thing. So when she went to the shooting range that day, three days before the shooting with her son, she explained to the jury, like, listen, um, you know, he asked me, mom, do you want to go to the range, shooting range with me? And she thought, oh, this is great. This is stuff he normally does with his dad. So it's, it's a good mom-son activity. So they went, we saw the video of it. You watched him showing her how to use the gun. She didn't know what she was doing. This kid clearly did. And then, and, and this is a crucial part of the case. They asked her then um, afterwards, what happened to the gun when you got home? Yeah. And she said, James, you know, took it and stored it. So this theory that the, the jury foreperson came out and said, well, um, what hammered it home for the jury was that she was the last one with the weapon. So in other words, you didn't safely store it. You were the last one with it. And three days later, your kid got a hold of it. Um, and she said that the jury foreman said that after um, we caught with her outside of the courthouse. But then she went on the Today Show and said, well, actually, that theory was my theory. Other jurors had their other reasons for doing what they did. And she also said that, you know, we weren't we weren't originally, you know, they weren't unanimous on this. It, it took a while. But a couple of questions about sure. the jury. So is she I mean, she can decide whether or not she wants to talk to people. Right. Do we know who the other juries are? I mean, we know their makeup. Or do we know them by name? Is that revealed? Or no. so that, that's a so that's a choice simply by each juror. No, it's the the judge made it that way. Typically, and in, in past cases, we've gotten the names of jurors. I've been on trials where you give your yeah. you know the jurors get up there and and they say their name and you write it down and you can find them afterwards. They can talk if they don't want to talk. But the judge made this a a confidential jury, just like in the Kilpatrick trial, it was the same way. We didn't know the names of the jurors. So she wants to be out there talking about you know this one. Yeah, she wants to be out there. She put yeah. I mean she she initially said she wasn't. She only gave a quick comment outside the courthouse, and I have nothing else to say, she said. Within a few hours, she's on a plane yeah. paid for by NBC, and the next morning was on the Today Show. Hmm. Well, I mean, I kind of I get that. I mean, people get wrapped up in, in what happens afterwards. Right. Um, going back to Jennifer on the stand, do you think she should have been on the stand? Because I watched a little bit of it. I mean, it was streamed everywhere, and sure. she just did not seem like the best witness. Right. And when you're right. on the stand, you open yourself up to everything right 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 so there, there's two two uh two different takes on this one um by going on the stand for the first time we learned about the crumblies as a family before that all we knew um were what, was what the prosecution told us you Always, know yeah. that these that the parents were big drinkers they left this kid home alone that he was texting them about seeing demons throw bowls around the house and they weren't responding um and, you know you, you heard this and and this was i think this is crucial because I've heard many commentators talk about this case who didn't sit on the trial and say stuff like, well, you know, the parents knew he had mental health issues and they still bought him a gun. Well, that's what the prosecution says, because Jennifer Crumbly testified that, listen, no, we didn't see any major mental health issues. At most, what we saw was he was anxious. He was anxious about, he had a lot of anxiety about his grades, about what he was going to do afterwards. Um, any signs of depression he would have showed. Um, there was one time when they were in uh, Florida, I think, for a couple weeks, and he was falling behind on his school, and she was concerned then. And then, of course, the month before the shooting, when his, his only and best friend moved away. Um, who was actually uh, uh, institutionalized for for mental health reasons, and and that that hit him really hard, and 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 
she talked about that. She, uh, this kid that we don't know much about other than some text messages that they were sending with each other, he spent almost all his time over at the Crumbly House. They took him on family mm -hmm. vacations with them. They, you know, there were pictures of the boys in a houseboat, uh, you know, playing board games, going hiking and camping and conking out. So I think the the interesting part about putting Jennifer on the stand is we saw a side of the family we never knew. You saw a seemingly normal family and one that was actually more involved with their child's life than we've been led to believe. Now on the flip side, what she did, and I when I when I heard this part at trial, I thought uh, you just you just hurt yourself big time. When her lawyer asked her if there is there anything different that you would have done, yeah, could have done, done yeah. and she paused and she said. Um, no, not really. That's, and, that's and, a tricky thing to answer, though, because well, then you're I, almost I, admitting guilt. If well, you say, well, yeah, I, I wish I, I would have blocked the gun up better. Or, I, I did think about that. However, right after she said that, she said, but I wish you would have killed us instead. No one remembers that part. They thought it was disingenuous. Um, you know, uh, but they remember it's her saying that. And I, and I, you know, I'm not here to explain why Jennifer Crumbly said what she said at that moment. Um, I, I, I'm sure she's going to try and explain it at sentencing, but, um, anyway, it's, you know, and the jury four person said, yeah, that resonated with us. You know, we talked about that and, and I'll tell you where Karen McDonald was so powerful. She got up there and, and she said in her closing, you know, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the, there were the smallest of things they could have done mm. that would have spared those four lives. The smallest yeah. of things. They could have told the school that their son had a gun when they came in over that troubling drawing. That, that's the big thing I you have know, trouble getting they over. Could, they yeah. could have told them they had the gun. They could have brought him home. They could have hugged their kid. They could have, you know, and, and she mentioned nothing. She said, but they did none of them. She said, and think about it. She's sitting before you today and she says she would not have done anything differently. And I just sat there. I thought, oh, they're convicting. You know, I mean, it's a good prosecutor. I, I, you know, she she really um, she she drove it home. Now, you know, Shannon Smith, the defense attorney, uh, also, you know, e equally powerful in her closing. You know, she she talked about how, um, you know, there there is no evidence out there. There's no way any parent could possibly imagine that their child would do this and that they didn't know and that the government is bringing this case against them to try and put a sort of a Band-Aid on gun violence and that they're holding the Crumbleys accountable for something they just didn't do. Oh, boy, that argument's a little too... I don't know, maybe obtuse, right? The government holding somebody... Will we see a bunch more cases like this where they go after the parent we already have uh in in uh illinois remember the highland park shooter yes, who right. the fourth of july so his but that father, was a straw man purchase of a gun yeah but it's still it, it, it's about um holding others responsible you know it's about holding others responsible for the deadly acts of another and so you have this dad who helped his son yes by he helped his son lie on a form to get a gun knowing his son had mental health issues yeah. at least that's what you know that's what the that's what the government said in that case so he was convicted you have a mom i believe in virginia her six-year-old daughter uh shot the, the kindergarten shot a teacher, teacher, teacher and yeah. and they, they they convicted the mom um i i think that you're you're going to start seeing this more and what i find interesting is that we are starting Starting to um, hold people accountable for things they criminally responsible for things they didn't do, not things they did, and and that's not. Well, that's 
that's usually not the way things happen. I mean, you know, I, I, that could be quite the slippery slope. Slippery slope, as I like to say. In you, the, know, uh, you know, you know, there, there's the defense attorneys are, are are crying foul. There's a lot of parent groups are too. Like, wait a minute, how far is this going to go? During jury selection, the judge asked the jurors. You know, there were some that came up there and and and, and said, you know, we need to hold parents more accountable for everything. So she was trying to get more out of them, and she said, well, let me ask you this: if you've gifted your, if your son has a baseball. And he's home and he throws that ball through the neighbor's window and breaks the window. Are you responsible? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, that's a good analogy. It, it, it was, yeah. but they were getting mad over that analogy. They're like, a ball is different than a gun. She said, same theory. Yeah. It's the same theory. How how far, you know, do we go? Yeah, you didn't and, say the um, ball killed anybody. He's you know, about a broken window. Right, right. Yeah, but that, you are responsible for the broken window. That, yeah, well, that, that, you know what? The, the man yeah. did say the the juror that she and he did get bounced off the jury, but he she did say he said I would pay for the window, you know, mm -hmm. and and she said that's fine, but would you go to prison for it? You know, would you, you know, would would you say that you're equally that's responsible for what your son did? Okay, maybe the analogy is not so great because those are so different. They, yeah, yeah, you got a gun that can kill versus a ball yeah. that breaks a window. Two things that came out in this trial that got a lot of attention, and I just wondered how much it really mattered to the jury. Number one is. The full video of them when they were on the run down in Detroit. And, you know, that gets a lot of attention because it's video of them right. the days after. Right, right. Um, and the other one, I'm drawing a blank on. Oh, the other one is her lifestyle. Right. The salacious lifestyle. She's a swinger. She's meeting a guy in the Costco parking lot for, you know, rendezvous. Does, does that really play in the instructions to the jury? Well, in, in during the jury instructions, um, you know, uh, they are the judge tells them over and over again, you are not to be swayed by passion, by emotion, you know, only on the facts of the case. Well, that was a fact that was presented in this case. Yeah. Jennifer Crumbly was having an affair. And while she was uh, having this affair, um, the prosecution was trying to show that you're not spending enough time with your, with your child. So while the prosecutor was cross-examining her, he digs out this... Uh, uh, an app that she was on where she was arranging threesomes for her, her lover, and others. Mm. And she just, you know, um, he said, you know, this had to take time away from your child, you, you know. And she, she says something like, it really didn't take that much time, you know. And, and then yeah, on to the next question. But at, at that people point... People can time manage. I mean, if she was playing, I don't know, a game on her phone or... Right. Racquetball. Or, or, or gambling. Let's say she's gambling on her phone. Would that Or playing pickleball. Would take a lot, it would take right. a lot more time than the rendezvous. I don't know. I just no, thought they were doing that to to impinge the character. Sure, right, right. Sure. And I, I, you know, here's the thing: we don't know because the jurors aren't talking to us. Yeah. I, I will say there wasn't. Um, the affair wasn't going to come out. The judge had already ruled that. Um, yeah. uh, the drinking, how much they drank. And her affairs were irrelevant to the case and potentially uh, inflammatory or prejudicial. And and it came in because uh, her lover was on the stand for the government, for, yeah. for the prosecution. And while he was on there, he started to say things like, um, when I was being interviewed by the police, they were badgering me. They were threatening my, my pension with the fire department if I didn't cooperate. And so... Um, she wanted to push that line of questioning on cross-examination, the defense attorney. And, and, and the prosecutor said, if you're going to push that door open, then we're going to push the door open about the affair. She said, bring it. Let the affair come in. I don't care at wow. this point. So Jennifer Crumbly had to take an oath and say, I agree to let this come in. I trust my lawyer. Um, and, and then it came in because they were trying to show, uh, the defense wanted to show this is how 
uh, how hard the police work to bring a case against these parents that they that they were badgering witnesses that they were intimidating people and that's what this this guy said but then he kept changing his story on the stand he was uh um, admittedly did not have a good memory. He said so. I, I have memory problems. I don't remember this. You know, he, he, he testified earlier that, oh, yeah, when I met Jennifer's son, and then later they asked him the questions, oh, I've never met Jennifer's son. Whoa. And so he was he was a little odd. Hmm. Um, so in the end, what, what, is, she, what is she facing? Uh, up to 15 years, um, hmm. probably between 7 or 8 and 15. Um you know, I, I'm sure she's going to ask for time served. And does uh, her um, conviction help or hurt James? Because this trial's up next. Right, right. Well, the jury, I, I mean, we're. I'm curious to see during jury selection how many jurors know about Jennifer Crumley's conviction. They're going to ask them that. Well, um, and, I mean, and come on. The vast majority of them, you would. You think. would be surprised. I still remember during the Kilpatrick corruption trial how many people get the bell ready <laughs> you know they, they didn't remember is that mike over there that is because by the way this has been awesome thank good good uh, yeah we've got excellent yeah, this good. is this well he's is probably good. heard all these answers but, but, but she she's just talking so fast i'm getting worried it's like she's why she's just going man well, we know why because well, you know a what word i've spent the last two over two years covering just this case yeah and and and, and one thing that drives me crazy is how many people are opining on what they think think is true and they weren't at the trial they didn't hear any of it but they walk away you know this is my opinion and this is what i think i'm like you know what i'm do one your, of them do yourself a favor read the story watch it live you can go on you can watch yeah. this live it's been um uh, uh, oh, it's great to have expertise from the household fed. for a change <laughs> Awesome. But I, I want to address something that I found interested me the most in this Quit case. Interrupting came my up wife, Sean. She's yeah. talking. But if you lived in my house, you'd know that's a perilous thing to do. I remember when this case first came out, and 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 we heard about those text messages that Ethan Crumbly. Oh, I didn't want to mention his name, but I just did. Whatever. He was texting his mom and saying, "Will you please come home? I'm seeing demons. They're throwing bowls around the house." And I was so I thought. You know, who buys, who gives access, a, a kid a gun, who texts their parents and says, I'm throwing, you know, I'm seeing demons throw bowls around the house. Well, by the time trial rolls around, um, you know, you looked at how many text messages the, the prosecution used in this case. And what they had, they only had, I want to say, two or three text messages from him to his parents and two or three from him to a friend where he talked about being paranoid and hearing things. And this is something that people just have not quite gotten. Um, when he was texting his friend that I'm paranoid and I'm hearing doors, he told a psychiatrist, by the way, I was watching horror movies when I was sending those text messages. That did not come into trial. Hmm. And he also... That did not come into trial. It did not come into trial. Um, Why not? Because Ethan Crumbly uh, took the fifth. They were expecting him to testify. I'm glad you brought that up because this is crucial. That's what I do here. Um, yes, exactly. So e Thank you, Mike. They, I'm a facilitator. Um, Ethan's... An organizer. Uh, <laughs> that did not come into trial because it's considered confidential um, medical information of his, and he owns the right to it. So when he took the fifth, he, he said, I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm not testifying in my mom's trial, and I'm not going to waive... Um, the rights to my medical information and the judge and 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 so the the defense went in and said you you, you got to compel him to testify by the way mm -hmm. he's a convicted 
you know, murder now, he doesn't have his Fifth Amendment rights anymore. It, 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 anyway, and there may be some argument that I've heard other people say that the judge said, no, I can't compel him to testify. She said, well, then if you can't bring him in here to testify, then you can't let all this evidence come in that we can't cross examine him about. Number one, the text messages to his friends. Two, the text messages to his parents, and perhaps most damning, what he wrote in that journal. He wrote all kinds of stuff about his parents in that journal that made it into trial. Stuff like, my parents won't listen to me, my parents won't help me, and that's what's causing me to shoot up the fucking school. And and that came in, and... and a lot of defense attorneys I've spoken to and, and prosecutors talk about, you know, on appeal that, you know, when you have the right to confrontation as a defendant. And so the, the defense was hamstrung. They couldn't challenge that. So the jury got to hear all this horrible stuff that the kids said about his parents, but they couldn't question it. They couldn't challenge it. And and I think that's that's going to be a big issue on appeal. So did Ethan really screw his mom over by refusing to testify, because for folks who are having trouble keeping up with this, there's been a lot of twists and turns. Ethan pled guilty to murder and basically told the judge, give me whatever sentence you want. Give the people, the families, the survivors what they want. So he basically turtles and rolls over for a life sentence. And then just before his mom's about to go on trial, he there's an appellate court ruling that says you can't give life or there's something about life for underage kids. And his new attorneys go in and say... We're appealing his sentence, even though he said, give me whatever you want. And he's not going to testify. So on the eve of his mother or father's trial, and that was weird, too. They didn't it tell was. us who was going to be first until just before the trial happened. This kid says, uh, you know what? I guess I changed my mind. And then mom and dad are probably think, thinking, yeah. well, when this little shit gets on the stand, people are going to find out it's not as bad as they thought. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, this kid, he's... He's he's getting us locked up now too. Well, and at sentencing, he did stand up and say, "This is not my parents' fault. They did not yeah. know what I was doing. This is not their fault." So he, he could have been a very powerful witness for the defense. However, he goes, he flip flops back and forth, and this is what the defense wanted he's to show: crazy. he's unreliable, is what he is. So on one hand, in his journal, he writes, "Sorry, mom and dad, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. This isn't your fault." But they. They pick the the excerpts out of the journal that make the parents look responsible, um, and and leave out the ones that don't. Like for example, uh, e Ethan wrote also in his journal, "I need to find out where my dad hid the gun." That didn't come in. Wow. Um, and, and 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 so there's I you know on the psychiatrist that they were going to call to testify. Um, there's one. There were handwritten notes by a, a psychiatrist who talked to who had interviewed him after the shooting in jail, and. Uh, he allegedly told the psychiatrist that he he lied when he texted his friends saying, my parents aren't helping me. So we, you know, and, and of course we can't question this. The jury can't know any of this. There's so much the jury didn't hear, but, you know, clearly they heard enough where they thought, you know what, we, we think they're guilty. She's guilty. I feel like a lot of times uh, in murder trials, especially it, it really boils down to one thing, which is a simple act, right? Uh, be it who pulled the trigger or who drove a car, or, you know, very simple, simple things. And going back to James Crumbly, he is the person that bought the gun. Right. So, And we're going to hear his explanation for the first time. Maybe he may not testify. I mean, he doesn't have to say a word. The burden of proof, you know, is on the government. But let's go back but, to but something. we know he bought that gun. We know he bought the gun. And, and here's what's interesting. The mom was no, she wasn't even with them that day. Yeah. She didn't even know they were going to buy it. And, and, and she's, you know, she 
got convicted. Going back to what I thought initially was going to be the most crucial piece of evidence in this case is the troubling drawing he made on the day, the morning of the shooting. So if everybody can remember, if not, yeah. uh, on the morning of the shooting, uh, th this kid drew on his geometry worksheet a picture of a gun, and it looks exactly like the gun that his parents bought him. Uh, uh, a stick, for a human being, you can't really tell what it is, but now that in hindsight you look back and you're like, oh, that's what it is. It had like holes through the body and blood dripping. And then perhaps the most daunting part of it all was he wrote, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And nobody, not his parents, not the counselor, not the dean of students, thought that was concerning enough to remove him from school. The parents, um, Jennifer Crumbly at trial said, uh, no one told us we had to bring him home. The counselor assured us they thought that, they, she said, you know, she kind of threw it in their court, like, um, you know, they they said he, he just seems sad. We think it's better for him to stay in school and be with his peers instead of going home and being alone, which started with the parents saying they needed to go back to their jobs. There's a narrative out there that's not true, and that is that the that the school told the parents, you have to bring him home, and that the parents refused. That did not happen. The counselor and the dean of students testified that that didn't happen. The parents of all, um, Jennifer testified that that did not happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I I've said over and over again, there's parents sitting on this, this, uh, this trial thinking, how could you have looked at that? and not brought your kid home. That's what the parent in all of us thinks. And, you know, the lawyer's like, you know, well, hindsight, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. They didn't, I think what happened here, this is legal analysis or human analysis by Teresa, is that, is that, that, you? that, that the shooter's dark side flew under the radar. He hid it from everybody and no one took him seriously. They at most thought he could have been suicidal. No one thought he was homicidal because A, there's a big gun culture in Oxford. Kids go hunting. They all have guns. The day before the shooting, he told a social worker when he was caught researching bullets in class. She's like, what's this about? He said, oh, I just went to the shooting range with my mom a couple days ago. You know, this is what we do. It's a, it's a hobby. What happened to the dean of students or the counselor or anything? Nope. They're being sued. And uh, Karen McDonald made an interesting point during trial. She said, listen, I know that there's been much made about here about what the school officials did or didn't do. I'm not happy about how they acted. But we're not here, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the school. We're here to talk about Jennifer Crumbly and what she did and did not do. And um, so she, she addressed that. The one thing that does help uh, James Crumbly, though, is that he has this case now. I mean, he, he, he knows what their attack is going to be. Uh, he knows how the prosecution is going to try this case. I would think, right? Right, I mean, right. That's got to help him. Right. Oh, I, I, I um, well. Well, help his lawyer. It, it, well, you know Exactly. I mean, I mean you, you look for the, you know, do I put him on the stand? Um, you know, point out what they, they don't have. I'll tell you what, I was surprised. We heard so much early on about how uh, this kid was left home alone, um, uh, you know, all the time as a child, and he didn't stand a chance. There was not one witness, not one neighbor who testified about this kid's childhood. There was no mental health expert, not one, who took the stand and said, oh, he's he's mentally ill. Nobody. The only person in that trial who said that he was mentally ill was the shooter. And he sent it in, he wrote it in his journal. He wrote it in a text message to his friend. And he and and, and that's it. The, the, not to his parents. The parents, I mean, over and over have said, listen, we never saw this journal. We never saw these texts to his friends. You know, at most, we thought he was anxious. Um, you can choose to believe him or not, but uh, 
I think we're, we're too quick to believe everything we're told early on when something so horrible happens. And these, these uh, details were so egregious in the beginning, you know, uh, a mentally ill kid, parents gifted him a gun, uh, they left him at school, they ignored him, they were drinkers, they were, full, you know, running around and having affairs. It's but, easy but, to jump to conclusions. Except, though, two of those points are the main points, right? They left him at school, they bought him the gun. right. Yeah, but even the school officials didn't think leaving him in school was going to be a danger. But, so but, but the parents people. know the kid better, regardless of presumably how, how much they knew. Right, but and, although and I, I would, I you know, I, I, I didn't have a very good high school experience. I didn't shoot anybody, which is a good thing. But I, I think you'd be hard pressed to get my mom or I stepdad it, yeah. to tell you exactly what I was thinking at that time, or exactly no, kids, what I was doing. Kids are good at hiding things. Yeah, and if I right. had a journal, and I didn't, but I do now. But I'm not telling you what it is. <laughs> I've seen uh, it. I'm sorry about. I've read it. Oh, really? That's okay. Uh, and you're so, still with them. <laughs> I use initials. Um, so does anyway, he write in code. Yeah. He, uh, he writes in French. He probably does. I speak French. Or is it all about the Smiths? Yeah. No. Yeah. There was. Gosh, my mind still just, having trouble arranging that three way. Well, well but, here's uh, you know where they said that you know that the parents knew him better. Um, I, I'll jump in with this. Well, I didn't even get to finish. Well, you're not. I'm, I've got to finish this. It's like I'm back I'm gonna, home. I, I'm going to forget it if I don't remember it. Oh, this has been refreshing. But, but, but Valentine's Day, we're letting. But the Jennifer Crumbly said, you know, they, they their son had never been in trouble before. He'd never been in fights. There was nothing about him that was violent. There was nothing that showed that he may do this. Now, where the prosecution is right about this, they say you are the only ones who knew he had access to a gun and you didn't disclose it. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I think the trial showed us is something that those of us who cover courtroom things know is this is an adversarial system. This is, this is a sport where the only people, and we used to hear from, get the bell ready, people in the Kilpatrick trial about the media had a bias or had an agenda, when really the truth was we're the only ones in the courtroom who didn't have a side. We weren't pulling for one side or the other. And one of the things that I found fascinating with this case was all the text messages we heard for years about these frightening things that Ethan Crumbly said and the things that he did and that he wrote. And then once Jennifer Crumbly gets on the witness stand and her defense attorney starts laying her case out, you get the context and you find out that, okay, there may be four or five really creepy texts out of hundreds of texts. I need to jump in. Sorry. I, 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 I do this. I can't help it, but because I, I forgot to raise to this point. Don't apologize, please. <laughs> So the, the just went down to nine roses. It was a dozen. No. So when they, Let's see if you can get to six, there were there were four text messages at trial that 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 made um, the shooter look delusional. All right, and and she they said to her, "Do you remember him texting you when you were out at the horse barn um, drinking on St. Patrick's Day, um, asking you to come home? You know, he's seeing the demons and everything." And she said. I don't even remember those text messages. The only reason I remember them is you pulled them out in discovery in this case, and I'm looking at them now. We didn't take that seriously, she said, because that's him messing with us. That's what he was always doing, that there was an ongoing family joke in the house with uh, the shooter and his dad, that the house was haunted. They had ghosts that they nicknamed uh, 
Violet and Boris. Um, the kid had made videos of himself opening and closing doors and pretending there were ghosts there. There's a video he made where his dad was pretending to be electrocuted. And um, I've seen the videos as well. And he played with a Ouija board. Um, you know, she said, and, and you know, whether or not the jury believed her, uh, I don't know, but it did seem plausible that this kid was, you know, she said he was just messing with us. That's who he was, you know, and, and there were only two or three of these and they were from eight months before so, the shooting. Okay, you, you, you can speak now. <laughs> I'm done. I needed to get can that I out. Can I talk? You're down to four roses. Can All you right. can you speak, Mark, please? No, I want to hear ML finish his point. Oh. Go ahead. It was a while ago. I lost it. But, oh, no, I, that's right. That these sides will cherry pick the evidence to make their mm -hmm. case. And so it was the coverage by the free press and other media that hopefully gave people some sort of balance and some sort of object, objectivity. Because Karen McDonald, while she's out to seek justice, she wants to win. And because she's a politician, there's a lot on the line for her. And I'll never forget... Almost 25 years ago, when I first met Carl Marlinga, when he was the prosecutor in Macomb County, he told me something that stuck with me where he said, one of the hardest parts of this job is deciding who not to charge. And in this case, Karen McDonald decided to, to bring charges, decided to try and make a historic case, decided to argue it herself. So she's got a lot on the line. And so if you're trying to figure out where the true north in this is, you can't ask the prosecutor because even during the course of the trial, the, the way this works is the prosecution has to give all the evidence to the defense. And throughout this trial, the, the prosecution was given to the defense a lot of information that's called discovery at the last minute where they're trying to process it. And so while we want to believe law enforcement, uh, for the most part, we think they're working for our best interests, and I, I think they are. In a case like this, they're going to withhold certain things from the public because they think it's going to hurt their case. And then you have this case finally go to trial, which is why I love trials over plea deals, and you get a lot more of the evidence to come out so you know a lot more. So I wasn't on the jury, and Mark, you asked about how's this going to play for James Crumble. He's going to have a whole different jury, and they may see sure. things differently than this one. But not great parents. Uh, he may have had a weird sixth sense of humor. He was obviously, I'm talking about the kid, he's obviously more than just a lovable goofball. But, um, but I think we learned a lot more about what was going on. And there's a lot of gray here. And I think the only really good thing to come out of this is if the families who lost loved ones feel better. I guess that's something, but... My God, this this family, what a what a horrible life it must have been. Although I guess they had fun and they oh, camped yeah. and they did stuff. So I mean I, I, I'm telling I would what, hate to have had to try and figure out what to do in this case. In the year before the shooting, this is what the Crumbleys did. They went to Florida for two weeks. They rented a houseboat. They went to the Silver Lake Dunes. They they had Thanksgiving. Um, even four or five days before this happened, there's video of the shooter and his dad at a Christmas tree farm getting their tree, decorating the tree, dancing around the tree, laughing around the tree. Um, you know, at Halloween, decorating the house. Um it it just it, it's words, Easter. It's the gun. It, it it was the gun. It it is. I mean everything about and 
um, you know, and uh, you mentioned the gun, but Oxford, I mean, the school officials have said, you know, we, you know, we, we didn't think anything of it when he was caught researching the bullets because a lot of kids, we do have a gun culture. I mean, this is in their deposition. They've all said it. If you go on Facebook, there are at homecoming girls yeah. at Oxford will pose with their dresses and guns they're holding guns members of congress do that they send out christmas like, cards like with their families Bobert, and yeah. ak-47s and, yeah. and i mean i was tracking on the jury um uh out of the 17 12 when they first picked a full panel 12 uh, grew up with guns seven had guns in their homes um so, I mean, you could have had responsible gun owners thinking, you know what, I would have never left the gun the way that they did. I didn't think they hit it, you know, well enough or, you know, we, we don't we don't know. That's why I really I wish those jurors would, uh, you know, their names would be revealed. You know, hopefully we can find them. But uh, there was something else you guys talked about, Karen McDonald, during jury selection. In one day, she said nine times she mentioned that she used to be a judge. Hmm. Um, and, and then, and she also told them, which I thought, why, why are you telling them this? She said, you know, um, I was on the ballot 13 times. And, and, and it's just like, they, they, they don't need to know this. And the, the defense attorney at one point got annoyed. And it, I think it was in her closing. She said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you heard an awful lot about Karen McDonald being a judge. Well, there's only one judge in this case that you're going to listen to. And it's the one on the bench Jesus right Christ. now. Oh. Well, yeah. try, I mean, trials don't exist in a vacuum, right? And, it's, you know, and everybody has biases. I mean, the, Imagine how hard it would be for a juror to let this parent that's in your community walk away like this. It's right. Just, you know, I, you know it Mark is such a fascinating case because it is such a horrific act that the kid did. And it's, it's hard for anybody to wrap their mind around somebody who would do that. Yeah. We want somebody to be held responsible. Right. And yeah. now yeah. somebody has been. Well, two well, people so far. Mark, you asked a question I forgot to answer, and that was the evidence of them supposedly being on the run. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know what the jury took away from it. I, I saw things I hadn't seen before. Um, you know, the, the defense has argued all along that they were never on the run. They were hiding because they were scared. Um, and then, of course, there's some text messages that that uh, Jennifer was texting her lover at the time saying on the run, um, hiding helicopters. But um, at the same time, while they were in that argument, they had set their alarms for 6 a.m. Yep. They were communicating and these text messages came out, you know, with their lawyers. And they said, what time do you have to be in court? We'll meet you there at eight. We'll pick up. We'll be ready. And then, of course, in the middle of the night at three in the morning you know, guns drawn, they get woken up in this bed. Jennifer Crumbly claims that they each took four Xanax a piece that night to go to sleep because they hadn't had sleep in four days. Mm. But, um, well, you know, whether, you know, and you have to remember, you know, nothing will sober you up from Xanax, like uh, the police barging in, barging in, pointed at you. and um, that'll wake you up. I don't care what. And we on. saw a lot of video of James Crumbly crying. I, I mentioned this in my story, you know, will, will he come across as more sympathetic? Um, you know, when they were in the school meeting with their son when they got called in over the troubling drawing yeah. he was the one that said son you can talk to us you know don't don't be afraid and, and the mom was just fit to be tied arms crossed she was mad at him she thought you're doing this because we told you last night the night before the shooting that we're you're going to lose your shooting range privileges because your geometry grades have fallen yeah. so she's like you know this little 
shit is acting up and she was pissed where the dad was more sympathetic um then after the shooting in the police substation again I, I she's sitting there well, is that that unusual for a set of parents for one to know that no. way no but it's usually flip-flopped and as a woman it was hard for me you know to watch this i'm like you know why do they keep asking all these cops was jennifer crying was jennifer crying was jennifer crying as if women are always supposed to be crying um and 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 she, she was but they kept pointing out that james was he was you know he was sobbing in the police station he was he told his son four times before he left i love you i love you i love you i love you and then one of the weirdest parts of trial and and if you ever want to go back and watch it they had the crumblies in the back seat of a of a of the cop car they were both handcuffed and for some reason in the cop car they were playing september by earth wind and fire so there's a serious case and all you can hear is this song do you remember and the, and they're in there and james crumbly is kind of losing it and he's like honey if anything happens tell, just remember i love you i love you and it's like crickets on her and she's not well, saying anything you know um it was, anyway well she comes across as cold yeah I mean, and, and she talked. That's when the affairs and all that play into. Well, just to it, your point, so he, you know, might, uh, might have a chance to get off. Uh, well, there's another thing we learned at trial. You know, she talked. She told yours. Listen, this is my personality. I am not an open person. I don't show my emotions. And when things happen, I go into a take charge mode. What do we need to do? And something else that came out that we didn't realize when she was trying to get money and emptying out the bank accounts. And there's, I don't think it was a text message or something showed she needed, she said, we need to get a lawyer for Ethan. That was the first thing she was trying to do. And, and, and of course, we were writing narratives that they were just looking to get lawyers for themselves, which now we find out at trial wasn't true. And also, oh, there was something else I needed to mention, and I can't think of it. There's now. more? There's a lot. <laughs> this case, it oh. was just so fascinating to me. Well, we're going to, this, this is going to allow us. Pot in the kettle. This is, exactly. This is going to allow us to skip uh, room 7609. So thank you. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Not. But and anyway. Hopefully geek of the week, too. So she did talk about how she's she doesn't cry easily. Oh, okay. I'm talking too much. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just. Yeah, saying. we've gone from Valentine's Day to Easter. Okay. I can go. No, I got to go right. Well, I'm. I find it fascinating. I'm I glad. Too. I, I think you tell uh, the story very well. It's been mesmerizing. Thanks. Thank you. Not just here, but also in the. And Mike's been Excellent. quiet, which is the best part. Right? Exactly. I know. Exactly. Kind of, I'm and, just, uh, I'm just listening and learning from Michigan's uh, Journalist of the Year. The latest development too. It's in today's Free Press. If you want to read yes. it, and that is, um, so the prosecution may be calling in the dad's trial. They want to call three students. Um, two of them who were shot. Um, uh, dur during the, the, the shooting and um, they want to call them because there's a chance that the adult witnesses the school officials are not going to testify because it's been too traumatizing so you think of you know so you know we were talking about this at home wait you, you can take traumatized kids to testify to replace traumatized adults but you know we'll see we'll good see what on, happens good on those kids though yeah that yeah cannot be easy thanks no. for joining us oh my us. god no no it was gut-wrenching spend an extra time with mike i know yes. that's not easy i know I know. Out of schedule time. Right. You know Thanks for means. having me. Thanks for having me, guys. Go, do your this thing. counts as a date. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to come. And usually when the big stories in this case are broken, they're broken in the free press by uh, by my beloved wife, Teresa Baldus. And, um The best. And so please follow her coverage. Keep an eye at freep.com. This is the point of the show where we're going to pivot to talk about my work and my column on mayoral candidate. Oh, what do you do Sheffield. for me, too? No what need do you to. Do? And some of the uh, some of the surprising sources of campaign money she's got, but I think we should probably just About let that column work. speak for itself, and we will include a link to my latest on guard column on our website because we need to. You could just make it the geek of the week. 
Who, Teresa? No. Is she gone? Is it safe? I don't know. <laughs> she her head oh, back she's in. back. Uh, ah, ah, okay. No, it's good to see. Okay. Boy. Shut down that Tinder account. The, uh, no, just kidding, of course. What's um, Tinder? What? Oh, please. Like, you don't know. What's Tinder? It's, it's your waste. favorite website. Is it, is it a dating site? Yes. It's, it's a waste Where of time. Where but we're gonna so we're gonna tell you time. about some uh, something that hopefully is a little more uplifting, things that can change your life for the better, and that's going to get your eyes seen because you can get them examined as well by Doctor Yaldo. Yeah. But but here's a little story that Eli shared with me um, that he heard from uh, someone who called in or, or contacted him through Drew and Mike, which you may have heard as another podcast on this network. Watching televised football in the high-def world has become the greatest show on earth. The clarity and the intimacy provided by those microphones and cameras is mesmerizing. It's technology that was unimaginable not long ago. The same goes for the technology that Dr. Yaldo has at his disposal. You need HD quality vision to fully enjoy HD TV, and no one in Michigan provides as expertly or more often than Yaldo does. A Drew and Mike listener named Dana Wolf wrote the podcast recently saying that he was recovering from his clear lens procedure and gave Yaldo a five-star review. This is implanting high-tech precision lenses called clear lenses. It's the perfection of a very simple surgical procedure. It's the same as routine cataract surgery that millions of older Americans get every year. But these lenses are bifocal, enabling precise near vision that the cataract lens won't. Wolf is 52 has compromised near vision as most people over 45 experience. And I will tell you, sure. I had LASIK when I was 39. And once I got into my 40s, I had to start using uh, readers yep. because you just, it gets the near vision. My far vision, 2015, perfect, fantastic, love it. Near vision, bit of a drag. But there are procedures that can offset this. So Wolf looks at computer screens all day and is thrilled at the difference his new bifocal clear lens implants have made in his life. Clear lenses are implanted to give crisp, close vision and eliminate the need for reading glasses, which I wear occasionally, and they're a drag, and to allow you to see with stunning precision at all distances. It's quick, painless, and permanent, and if you've had your fill of glasses, contacts, and readers, do what Dana and hundreds of other listeners to the Drew and Mike show and to the Soul of Detroit have done. See Dr. Yaldo and get amazing vision at all distances. So when you go to see Dr. Yaldo, and there's a link to his website on our website, let him know that ML sent you. Beautiful. Yeah. And and you can see clearly now the readers are gone. That's room 7698. No, uh, we, we have something well, better. As, yeah, well, we also need to talk about uh, some other people that help support. Oh, absolutely. Podcast. Well, as always, our friends at Zot Ford and Holly continue to make buying and leasing as well as servicing your car, truck, and SUVs simple, fun, fast, easy, and most importantly, affordable. Plus, right now, Zot Ford has some things most dealerships don't. That's the new Ford Mavericks, full-size Ford Broncos, and diesel Super Duties in stock and ready for immediate delivery. In addition, right now when you see our friends in Holly, you can get 0% financing up to 60 months. That's five full years. Or up to $10,000 cash back. That's ten grand on select new Fords in inventory. Plus, Zot's leases are still ridiculously good with payments under 200 bucks on new 2024 Escapes and Ford Edges. 
or get lease payments around 300 bucks a month on the new 2023 Ford Bronco Sports. That's Teresa's favorite. And loaded F-150 Super Cabs. And I'm glad she's not here to see what kind of deals they have because I would be going down <laughs> there and get a new whip. I was just thinking you're going to buy her one. Yeah, I know. After she's it's Valentine's. No, she worked for it. She's here for an hour, I think. This is all from our friends and studio sponsors, Zot Ford and Holly. Support us by supporting them. And be sure to shout, ML sent me, when you walk into their showroom. See the deals? and their vivacious inventory at dealsinthed.com. And we will also have a link to their website on our website. And with all that money you save, you got to figure out what you're going to do with that, right? Well, you want to put it away because I don't go. know if you're watching the stock market today. It What's is, it doing? I have not seen it today. It's been on fire lately. Well, there was a uh, there was a report that said that inflation may not be high, cooling yeah. as yeah. much as we were expecting. And so the stock market is down. And for How those bad? people... Uh, uh, don't, don't bother answering it'll, it'll age uh, by the time the 56 third. points but it, and the S&P 500 but they know that it'll bounce back but but I, I also have to tell you uh, my cryptocurrency that I my 10,000 crypto yeah it went all the way down to four something it's up to eight fifty wow look at eight dollars and fifty cents what I don't, a gambler I don't worry about it because when it comes to these big decisions I prefer exactly. to let the professionals like Luke and Zach yeah. and Pinnacle Wealth Strategy let them sweat it I just want to spend it. Yeah, talk to a fiduciary or any finance guy about crypto. Get the real action there. Oh. Uh, we recommend, like like ML said, Luke and Zach at Pinnacle Wealth. Give them a call, 248-663-4748. They'll tell you, you know, based on your age, you should be in stocks, bonds, equities. You know, make your money work for you. It, it is never... It's never too early to start saving money. So Luke and Zach at Pinnacle Well, 248-663-4748. Because when you call Luke and Zach, they will make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Bonaic Well. Stand member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Bonaic Well. Sing is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent. Bonaic Well. Thank you. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into clothing? So for this week's geek, we go from a courtroom in Oakland County to a courtroom in Oklahoma where a judge overseeing the murder trial of a man accused of beating a toddler to the death. Oh god. In other words, these are this is a pretty serious case. This is a heart-wrenching yeah. case. These are high stakes. Well, the judge spent a lot of time from the bench during the trial, oh boy, sending text messages to her bailiff and other folks, including things like uh uh the appearance of the prosecutor writing, why does he have baby hands? They are so weird looking. Then she uh, she wrote about the prosecutor. He is sweating through his coat. Uh, the jurors are going to hate him. That should be left to podcast to talk oh, yeah. about, not to the judge. So when the, although maybe people want to talk about it a little slower. Uh, when the defense attorney spoke, the judge says, she's awesome. Can I clap for her? Oh, boy. Yes. So the judge, her name is Tracy Soderstrom, and this is from the Washington Post. She was accused of exchanging about 500 text messages wow. with her bailiff, including messages that mocked the prosecutor's genitals, <laughs> objectified witnesses, and called evidence boring. <laughs> so she resigned last week. I shouldn't laugh. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Idiot. yeah. Why does he have baby hands? They're so weird looking. <laughs> 
So she resigned um, last Friday, and under her agreement to step down, she also agreed to not seek another judicial position in Oklahoma and waived her right to appeal, according to a settlement with the state. So, uh, That's great. So, yeah, for not having that judicial comportment, uh, Tracy Soderstrom, you are our Geek of the Week. <laughs> Look at the fade. Those of you who are enjoying this uh, video. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Speaking of ghosts, there I am. <laughs> it works really well with the Geek of the Week. I felt like that uh, that Star Trek episode where Kirk is in the mirror and he's trying to get back on the Enterprise and he sees Uhura. And of course, he's in Uhura's uh, cabin, you know, looking in her mirror. And he, they can't yeah. quite bring him back in. But I think in the end, I think Scotty figured it out. He always does. Um, but yeah, so if you can only watch us if you're a Patreon supporter. So... Yet another reason to uh, to drop a few nickels on us on a regular basis. We really appreciate it. Um, we have a great suggestion for Room 7609. This is new music that sounds like new wave music. And it's from Kevin, who goes by the nom de guerre, Kevbot Unicorn, who says, Hey there, ML, here's my recommendation. The song Peach by the band Future Islands. I tried suggesting a different song of theirs a while back through twitter dm they're one of my favorite groups and are often compared to new wave i don't have a story to share but i think i was standing next to the bassist parents when i saw them live anyways peach is probably my favorite song off the new album which just came out a month month ago if you like this one they have so much great music to dig into so here's peach by future islands Life is the reason I'm still holding ground Life is in perfect bodies in perfect sound Death is in season It's pushing me round and round and round But at the rusted crown When one pushes up the other pulls me this one makes you small in the lonely world. This one takes it all away. All the pain that I'm not giving up. Not today, not today There's a life in this tunnel We're just hanging around Please if you see my hands pull me 
So Kev Bot Unicorn understands how this works. You send us a song, you send us a story, and we play it in room 7609. Preferably, you send us a deep track or a band that nobody's heard of before that you really like and that we're all going to dig, and then we're all going to get tickets to their next show when they either do their reunion tour or they pop up at the Cadre Cafe or something. So send those suggestions to us at mlsolvedetroit at gmail.com. As Kev Bot Unicorn found, the Twitter DM, they don't always get through, so hit us on our email. You can find a link to our email on our webpage where you can find information on all our sponsors. That's mlsoulofdetroit.com. That's also where you can make a donation. You can just give us a one-time gift. We appreciate those. Or we really encourage you to sign up and be a Patreon supporter of this show. Now, we don't have any new Patreon supporters this week, but we are grateful to Nancy who upped her donation. She was in at the $5. Please, please let us get what we want level. She is now with the Big Mouth Strikes Again group at $15 a month. And for the $5 level, you get an ad-free podcast and you get access to our video. For $15, you get the ad-free content, you get our video, and you get a bonus episode every month. We just posted one a week or so Mm -hmm. ago. We'll be posting another one shortly. Once you become a $15 a month member, you get all of those episodes. You have access to everything there. $25 $25 a month, that's our work as a four-letter word level. You get not only the free con- the ad-free podcast, the free video, the bonus episode, you will get an autographed copy of the Kwame Sutra Musings on Lust, Life, and Leadership from Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. I need to ship those out soon, but you will get one. <laughs> for $60, so far, no one is a handsome devil except for the three of us gentlemen here. Not me. Well, it's, we're rounding up. Um, so we have quite <laughs> considerably from 0. 0.5 to 100. Um so this is for $60 a month. Not only do you get all the other stuff, you will get a special Handsome Devils only piece of ML Soul of Detroit swag. Ooh. A hoodie, a hockey jersey, a t-shirt. You know, I'd like a hoodie. We will set you up. You uh, wear like a hoodie. The one you're wearing oh, I right like now. a new one. You look, I'm ready for a new one. You look it's very, very comfortable. Yeah. I'm ready for a new one. Very fetching. <laughs> do you have any of the zip? Uh, we uh, did sell that, some yeah. from our merch yeah. store, and we will have another merch sale coming up soon. So we may want to uh, avail yourself of some of the fine new products that we yeah, will no, have. Bring me a hoodie, clown. You know what that's from, right? No. I don't. Uh, wedding crashers. Make, oh, me a wow. bi- make me a bicycle clown. Huh. Okay. Well done. Um, great. So uh, Patreon, that's a way to support the show and keep <laughs> us coming back every Not week. Amused. And we really do appreciate it. So we also like your feedback. And Dan My feedback us- is bring me a fucking hoodie. Whoa. Jeez. 
Maybe you're going to have to ask a little nicer. Okay. Not going to catch no flies I'm with sorry. that vinegar, sir. I'm sorry. I got a little, a little cranky. <laughs> you're fine. So Dan wrote to us a couple weeks ago. We did not get to his feedback last week, but we thought it was appropriate to bring it up this week because we're talking about what happened. Who's we? In Oxford. The the Royal. The Royal we. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't Um, remember being part of that, but okay. So Dan says, let me preface this with, I read all of your copy and listen to most of your pods. In some, I am a fan and this comes from a good place. I can't help but notice the wall-to-wall media coverage of the Oxford parents being railroaded by an attention-craving Oakland County prosecutor in an unprecedented trial. I'm certainly not suggesting they're good people, but the bottom line is we are talking about four homicides. There have been four homicides on average in Detroit literally every week for the last several decades. Has the Wayne County prosecutor ever tried one of those Detroit killers? negligence parents with manslaughter actually that she has tried some people for leaving guns where they shouldn't be why not one off four homicides in the detroit exurbs versus thousands of homicides in detroit many of them mass shootings i don't remember mass shootings in detroit i mean maybe somebody spraying a lot of bullets the outsized coverage of this and unprecedented railroading of the poor parents is nuts Mm. vis-a-vis murder capital detroit where the average murder is unsolved and lucky to get a one-off 30-second hit on Fox 2. A little perspective and acknowledgement of the difference in coverage would be nice, especially since you're a longtime Detroit resident living among the ceaseless murders. Yow, you paint a very bleak picture of uh, my fair city, Dan. But I will tell you, as I mentioned, the Wayne County prosecutor has brought charges against parents who have neglected or put their children in danger or not uh, taken care of their business. You know, the difference between what happened in, in Oxford and what happens in Detroit on a far too regular basis is this was a mass killing. We don't really have mass killings. We might have a couple people shot or killed, but it's not like well, it's does random the, does the for premed- the most part. Does the premeditation change that too i mean are a lot of murders in detroit just well you dust, know I don't, to, I don't know what the best way to describe it dust-ups or well reactionary the, the late uh, wayne county sheriff benny napoleon who was a former detroit police chief would say when people complained about homicides and unsolved homicides in detroit most of the people who get killed are killed by somebody they know and i think that's that's true nationally Sometimes it's hard to get relatives to testify against each other. These are crimes of passion, and the number of strangers who are killed by someone they don't know is actually pretty low. One is too many, of course, but it's not like if you're walking around in Detroit, you're going to get smoked out of the blue. And one of the things that I often think about when we look at these these school shootings is as violent as Detroit can be and as many guns as there are in Detroit— Thank God we have not had a school shooting in Detroit like this. And Oxford is the first time Michigan had something like this. It was, it's been happening more and more across our country. But it was a pretty unprecedented and shocking event that I think deserved the media coverage it got. But in Detroit, death seems to be random. And it generally comes because you know somebody who's coming for you. Either you ripped them off, you pissed them off. You challenged them. You sold something on their turf. You took something from them. You crossed them. Um, you know, so uh, so I don't think the odds of you getting mowed down in Oxford are very high. I also don't think they're very high of getting mowed down in Detroit by someone you don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, we wish there were more prosecutions, more successful prosecutions of murderers in Detroit. But uh, but Dan, you brought up a lot of a lot of issues that we discussed in this week's episode. 
this prosecutor was aggressive. This prosecutor was out to win, and it was a very controversial decision. And hopefully, after hearing from Teresa, you've got a little more perspective. But uh, no question. I sure do. That uh, Karen McDonald, um, she got out there, but she got the W, so I guess... uh, I guess that's justice in America. Um, Mark? I, 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 I do find it interesting, though. There, there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, politically motivated for her. I mean, it's, she's just going to climb now, right? Wouldn't you think? An elected official like that prosecutes a major case. Doesn't well, she'll run them for something bigger. Perhaps, but you may remember people speculating that Kim Worthy would run for attorney general after putting Kwame Kilpatrick in prison. And she made it quite plain that the only job she aspired to was to be the Wayne County prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Now, Karen McDonald was a judge in Oakland County, and you heard Teresa talk about how many times she appeared on the ballot. She stepped down from the bench. And in Michigan, you have to step down from the bench a year before you run for office. So she felt very strongly about being prosecutor. I don't know if that's because she thought the previous prosecutor was doing such a terrible job. I mean, I know she did think she was doing a terrible job, but um, but did she want to be prosecutor so that Oakland County could have a better prosecutor? Or did she want to become Oakland prosecutor because that may open the door to something down the line? I guess time will tell, but... Um, but yeah, she. Uh, I, I remember when Mike Duggan was first elected Wayne County prosecutor, and I I was in a meeting with him and some reporters, and he said once he got the job, he was looking forward to prosecuting some cases because he was a lawyer, but he'd never worked as a prosecutor, and that never happened. He got too busy. The job over overtakes whatever you thought you were going to do. In the case of Karen McDonald, is this part of the feedback still? She oh, found I asked the time. question. So that's my fault for asking a question. So unlike you, Sean, I listened to Mark and wanted to respond to his needs. You did. I'm the problem. Very, very proud. Very proud. Privileged, really. I have feedback. This is from uh, David. Maybe not so much feedback, more like a misconnection submission. I got some tickets to the Michigan State-Illinois game this past Saturday. Some good seats. 20 rows back. My first trip to the Breslin Center. Great place to see a game. Indeed. Should have edited that part out. I was meeting my brother at the gate, but he was running late, and I was trying to find a parking spot. We were about five minutes to tip off when he got there. We got in, and as soon as I scanned my ticket, I looked up through the busy concourse and see a guy that looks just like Wojo. It was Wojo, Bob Wojnowski. And uh, who was standing right next to him, eyes wide open and seemingly alert? That guy, Mr. Sean Windsor. I did not expect that to be the answer when you said eyes wide open <laughs> well, I, and seemingly alert. I think that's why he was surprised. He was so, so shocked that this guy was just standing and eyes wide open. Uh, did he say alert or inert? Did you read that properly? <laughs> it definitely is alert. Oh, okay. Good. So then uh, he, he carries on here and says, uh, Sean, did you see me? I was the guy in the Spartan hoodie. I'm sure he's the only one, too. <laughs> you and Wojo were probably on your way to the media row. I had about only 10 seconds and my thought went to what I should yell, but I froze. If I had a, if I had the sack to do, which I can't, I can't read this. Let's see. What reference would you have preferred? Sean, wake up. Something about food. Do you have an extra jacket <laughs> or a patient or an extra hoodie <laughs> or a patient zero reference? What should he have yelled to you? Uh, anything. I just hey you. You know that would have been great. Hey Baldy, that would have been, that would have worked too. I don't know. I think hey, Elric's sidekick. I think the part about although I'm not really even the sidekick should have been something about your the jacket. More like dirt on the on the on the shoe. I think. What rental car did you get that jacket from? Yeah, where'd you park? Yeah, I got a date. Can I borrow your back seat for an hour? That would have been that would have been fine. 
And I'll see he finishes with, um, in all seriousness, it was cool to see you at a game in your element and that you at least look like you were feeling better. So that's very kind. Of oh, see, there's nice. I was feeling a little bit better. Yeah, no, that was a great, that was a great game, by the way. Great atmosphere. I, uh, I for, not, had not been to a game this season up there. And uh, that was sort of, that was sort of odd. First time uh, in probably 15 years that it's taken that long to get up there to a game. But there were a couple of football teams that had a couple of decent seasons mm-hmm. and uh, some other things to do. So, but yeah, thank you. And uh, next time, just yell out, hey, you, <laughs> fucko, whatever you want. Fucko. All right. That, that's the answer then. That's what someone's going to yell to you next time now. Wow. Well, you know, the amazing thing about that is when we came into the studio today, Sean said, you know, I was in. East Lansing on Saturday, and some nobody made eye contact with me. If I ever see that guy again, I'm going to cut his heart out. Like Sean. Yeah, that does sound like me. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, Sean loves the little people. That's what he tells us all the time. He's like, I like that. Wait a second. You, <laughs> you weren't even here pre-show. I, I'm, I'm, I'm only. Oh, 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 there's a shot fired. I'm, I'm only here. Be, ignoring it. I'm only here, here because of all the tiny, itty-bitty little you people. Are out, who, uh, you are out trying to figure out how to tie your skinny tie, and you're like, you're a little, what are you in today? What are you in today? You're 300? You're, uh, you're right. cutlass? No, no. The the, uh, the riv stays in the backyard you're Prius? when there's salt on the road. Oh, it's a Riviera, sorry. No foreign cars. All Prius? But, uh, yeah, no. No, I was I was running right. a little behind right. our time because I was trying to set up next week's show, which is going to be spectacular. We're doing something completely different next week. Oh, we're going to be fun? Oh, my God. Ouch. Uh, Michael writes, hi, guys. Love the show. Well, I feel that the Red Wings could have made the call to not fire Sabatka. I think they had very good reasons to do it. Now, here's this is this is where it gets embarrassing, and I'm glad Teresa's not here because she'd really mad. <laughs> he talked about her uh, uh, urinating in uh, a place where people could see it. Uh, he talked about being a low-level employee. He talked about this not being his first offense. And all this other stuff. And, uh, yeah, he talked about all this stuff. And I think we said, well, we, we don't know whether it was a first offense. We don't know any other stuff. And, uh, and we're not sure where that came from. So we put a little disclaimer on there. And uh, Michael reached out to the show and said, well, you know where I read that? I read that in the Detroit Free Press. Your oh, wife ouch. Dead. So ouch. I guess Michael knows oh. what he's talking oh, about. Ouch. And I did not read Teresa's story quite as closely as I as I thought I did. So apologies to Michael and, uh, and Teresa. And we appreciate and and, and, and No, no apologies to Teresa. Now I'll tell you why. Uh-oh. Now here's a behind the scenes story that people need to know. <laughs> they need to know this because this is important. Because I think people are like, oh, Teresa, America's sweetheart, all this other bullshit. <laughs> Nobody knows what I've been through. Nobody knows what I've seen. And I'm not going to bore you with that. But I was out on Saturday in Rochester at a in, friend's in event. Riviera. And I ran into somebody. 300. I ran into somebody who's a fan of the show. Yeah. Not a Patreon supporter. Since they live in Rochester, they probably eat a lot of cake. They could maybe throw us a few crumbs. <laughs> but they're like. Nice generalization. Really like the show. But I love it when Teresa's on. She's the greatest. That's when I really like the show. Okay, we're going to let all that shit slide. By the way, this guy got somebody else's name at the bar wrong. So, you know. Great job, fella. And you know who I'm talking to. Teresa's a great guest. But here's the other thing. That Al Sabatka story with all the depositions. Yeah. I reached out to Deb Gordon and I said, hey, Deb, what's going on with the case? I think we'd like to update people on that. Okay, enough, enough. And she said, she said, let me, let me, let me, let me talk to you about this. Okay. And I said, okay, great. And then a couple days later, 
I hear from Jesus, hey, I'm writing about El Sabaka. I said, oh, really? What a great idea. I wonder if that's ever occurred to anybody else. I said, I asked Deb about El Sabaka. And she said, oh, yeah, really? Well, I'm writing about it. I said, well, I had it first. And she went ahead and wrote about it. She didn't care. Did you help her on this story? No. Oh, that's what I... Why would I... What a why, wonderful relationship. Why would I help someone who stole from me spend the money? Because you wouldn't. live under the same household. <sighs> You're a team. You're supposed to be. Anyways, now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> and until next week, thanks for listening. Please tell our sponsors that you heard about them from us. Join us, support us in the Soul Patrol on Patreon. That's going to catch on. I swear it's going to catch on. <laughs> and until next week, Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> The Soul of Detroit with M.L. Alric. Listen soon for another of your favorite motion picture stars.